welcome to the Conversations Podcast. I'm Taylor. We are continuing our summer series, Stories of Jesus, this week looking at the parable of the prodigal son, the older son, the two sons, the father, all I kinds the, of things. I have the parable of the lost son Ooh, on my Bible. Okay, so. okay. Luke 15. Oh, the that's, lead pastor's Bible says lost son. It's the NIV. This, this intro's, the NIV. This intro's all off. <laughs> Let's introduce everybody real quick. First, we're joined by lead pastor, Jose. Hey, Taylor. Good to be here, man. Good to have you on. And the doctor's in the house, Dr. Sean Stover. Sean, thanks for being back. Hey, good to be here. Okay, so Sean, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) it's in the Word of God. Uh, What what led you to pick this parable? That's one of my favorite questions to ask as we go through this open series of the parables. And then kind of what did God maybe highlight for you? We'll we'll jump into the points, jump into some of the highlights, but just personally for you, kind of what did God draw up for, for your heart? I love the series. I'm glad we've been doing that this summer. I think that starting with the parable of the lost sheep, which really highlights the pursuit of the father mm-hmm. and the personality of the father to come after us. And then so many of the parables, even one I taught on before and that Jose's taught on throughout the course of the rest of the semester, talk a lot about our response or our actions or what do we do with the gifts that we've been given or what are we, mm-hmm. how do we respond with the blessing that we have? And uh, a lot of emphasis on us as believers and Christ followers and what that should look like. And I really felt like as we're getting back to the end, it, it, it was great to go back to a parable that actually reminded us again of the Father's role in our life, and, and which is predominant, preeminent, and I mean, we're all dependent on that, yeah. and then talked about our response to His love. So to me, as we're kind of getting toward the end of the summer series, it felt like a good, a good one to circle back to because it really emphasized the Father and His compassion. Yeah, it's convicting no matter where you are, whether you are receiving God's love for the first time and you feel like the younger son or you're like the older son, maybe feeling some of that bitterness, uh, envy, uh, injustice towards God. Hey, Lord, why, why are things working out for, for others? But again, the main, the main character of this parable is the loving father and praise God for that because I need, I need that type of love in my life. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's talk about that. There's kind of four attributes, uh, or kind of takeaways, Sean, that you pulled out here. And I feel like the first two are sort of related. So I'd like to ask questions related to both. The first lesson you highlighted was disobedience and the ways of the world destroy us. And then the second part here is that God is compassionate and forgiving kind of going off of the father, just that both of y'all just highlighted on starting with the younger son, starting with this concept of disobedience, um, I, I think for many of us growing up in the church, we, we've heard that word before. We, we may have been one of the first words we heard uh, out of the church is this concept of obedience and disobedience and rules and, and breaking rules. And so how as a believer, or maybe just someone that's wrestling with how, you know, how can God be loving and compassionate and yet be so strict on this? Because I feel like this may be just for my generation or maybe just where we're at as a society. There's a lot of bending of what sin is, what sin isn't, what is disobedience, what isn't. And so some ways I feel like if this parable happened nowadays, there'd be plenty of people saying, oh, what he did wasn't so bad or what he did wasn't really rock bottom. So how do we even just start with there, understanding not only just what truth is, but just even how do we reconcile that with who we know God to be? I think the beauty of the parable, Taylor, is that it wasn't what he did. It wasn't that 
We don't even know exactly. We know he pursued wild things. That's all mm-hmm. the NIV tells us. It we don't we kind of speculate maybe he was with prostitutes or maybe he was getting drunk or what that could be. It doesn't spell it out for us. We don't know what behaviors he chose. The older son says prostitutes. So and, it is mentioned yeah, there. Yeah. So you know, which again, Reckless how, does, how living, does he know? Right, I mean, right, the right. older son, he he wasn't involved there. He was probably speculating <laughs> as well. Yeah. He squandered a lot of wealth. That's what we do know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But here's the key. The thing we do know is that he turned away from his dad and he went away from him. And and the change happened, again, before he said anything, when he came back to his dad. And so for us, yeah, we can look at behaviors in the world and be like, well, is it disobedient to drink? Or how many drinks is it until it's too much? Or, you know, how, how much can I, you know, get a, is a college kid look around at, at, at other girls out there and, you know, be attracted to them before it becomes lust? Or we can, we can beat ourselves up over what obedience or disobedience is. I think what the parable is teaching us is obedience is moving toward the Father right. and disobedience is moving away Amen. from Him. And it, Maybe that's an oversimplification, no. but I don't think that's there. No, Sean, I think that's so true because what we want to do is we want to define where that line is as humans. That's our natural tendency. That's called religion. When we make up all of these man-made rules to try to justify, oh, because I did these things, therefore I am close to God. And what this parable says is, nope, you may think you're coming to God. God's already there. <laughs> so the... <laughs> can't take the image of you skipping out of my mind right now. But the the father skipped, or he ran. It says he ran. He didn't skip. But he ran towards him. That's the scandal of this parable is, I was undeserved. And to your point in the message, he didn't even know. He didn't even know what, what, what he had done. Yet, he didn't even know what his conversation was going to be like when he came to him, and yet he he ran. The father ran to, to hug his son and to embrace him. So to me, this idea of disobedience, a loving father tells his sons and daughters to not put their hand on the stove because the stove's, when, when it's on, because the stove's going to burn them. He, he knows that there's a consequence to that action of disobedience. And the key thing there for us is trust. And I think that's what this is all about. You know, are we trusting in God or are we really trusting in our own understanding? Yeah. You tied that back into being a dad here on earth, Jose. And I think that's fitting here too. Like it's not, it's not loving for me to control every behavior that my kids have, especially now they're 16, 23, 27 years old. It's not my job to, to control everything they do. I actually want to free them. That's what love is. It's freeing them with the hope that they remember the admonition I've made along the way to not put your hand on the hot stove and not do things that are illegal or not do things that are inappropriate, not take your eyes off of Jesus, most importantly, as you go through your daily life. But that's what being a father is. It's giving people the opportunity to go out. That's what God does for us. Hey, live your life. Go out there. Experience joy. Use your gifts. Make a difference in the world and uh, make good choices along the way. Unfortunately, we just we don't always make good choices, mm-hmm. and those things do have negative consequences. We've talked about this before. Not everyone listening is a dad, but everyone listening has had a dad. Yeah. And I think, Sean, you've spoken this, to this really well, so I'd love to hear both of y'all's thoughts on just the role that our earthly father plays in this influence of how... This was a common theme last time in my community group where people were just openly wrestling with... They just couldn't fathom a father that the second that 
you know, the sun turns towards him. He's running out there, embracing him, throwing apart. I mean, that's just, that's just unfathomable to them. So how is someone maybe listening that has not had that kind of experience with their earthly father? How would you both recommend and encourage them to uh, embrace this new, uh, potentially new definition of what love looks like from a father? How about I hit it from a biblical view, Sean, and then I'd love for your experience as a counselor dealing with this on a day-to-day basis with so many people. I'd love to hear your your standpoint on this, but biblically, you know, uh, as as a believer in Jesus, my job as a dad is to teach my sons and daughters that I'm imperfect, but they have a heavenly Father that is perfect. So I want to point them ultimately to Him. That's my job as their earthly dad. Uh, that was Joseph's job as Jesus's dad to teach him how to be a carpenter, to equip him, to give him nourishment and love. But ultimately, Jesus had a heavenly father and had a heavenly purpose here on earth. So do we. We have a heavenly father and we have a heavenly purpose here on earth. And so distinguishing the two is so difficult and yet so important because every dad, no matter whether you're the best dad in the world, (laughs) in the world's eyes, can never, ever match up with our perfect heavenly father. So yeah, making yeah, that distinction is huge. Yeah, it is. You, you absolutely have to, because how we see initial, our initial impressions of God as father are going to be shaped by the earthly father that we had. Uh, my dad, he, when I was about 16 years old, I remember him coming to me. My mom had passed away. He was a primary caregiver in my life. And I remember we talked about drinking and he said, listen, you don't need to drink. You shouldn't drink um, when you're out and away. It's dangerous. He laid out all the signs and he said, if you drink, uh, I'm asking you to commit to me right now that you will call me wherever you are and I will come get you and we will not talk about it that night. And he made that commitment to me. Now, that's just one example of a thousand stories I could give you about my dad. But to me, in that moment, my dad was basically saying, look, when you screw up, just know I'm going to be here. I'm going to run to you and I'm going to keep you safe. And uh, it, it, that's the blessing I walked in, having a father that treated me that way. And yet there are so many dads out there, so many so many men and women out there who didn't have a dad that did that. And um, I think that when we first become believers, it's just really hard to see God through any lens other than the one that your earthly father gave you. So if your earthly father abandoned you and and wasn't present in your life, it is hard to get over the fact that God is consistently present and he's never going to leave or forsake us. If your father uh, was harsh and judgmental, it's really hard to get over the image of a heavenly father who isn't you know, just judging every behavior that you have and treating you like more of that Old Testament God that we see sometimes. Um, so the lens we see our Heavenly Father, particularly early in our faith, is is heavily shaped by what our earthly father did. And that's why we have a huge responsibility as earthly fathers. And that's why we need a community group of people. Like you said, Taylor, you were discussing your community group because we need to grow in our faith past that early, you know, belief where, all right, my earthly dad was like this. God must be like this. Mm-hmm. Well, listen to other people and their experience of the heavenly father. Read about, you know, the experience of Jesus and his compassion. And uh, over time, your lens and your filter changes and you see God for who he really is, that God who giddily skips his way running toward, uh, <laughs> toward us when we need him. Good. I have a, a cool story. I had a conversation with someone on uh, Sunday morning, 
that did not have a good example of an earthly dad. And all she said was, I know that my heavenly father loves me. Mm. And that is proof that this love that God has for us, anybody, no matter where you are in your relationship with your earthly dad, the heavenly father's love penetrates any pain. Not only does it do that, it heals our pain because only he is perfect. And that's the power of our faith <laughs> is that we we have that agent of healing. We have that agent of hope. His name is Jesus. And he, he restores and he has the power to reconcile broken relationships too, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is not something that we're talking about here. That's good. I, I think if you're listening to this podcast, I would almost encourage you to hit pause and for a moment, ask yourself, how do I see my heavenly father? Yeah, that's good. Like, do I see him as judgmental? Do I see him as harsh? Do I see him as here one day, gone the next? Do I do I feel abandoned by him? And and ask yourself, you know, some of this shaped by the earthly father or the experience I had there, um, because your perception of God is is just such a key indicator in how close your relationship's going to be with him. That's so good. That's so good. We know the father, as soon as the son turned, the father comes out running, skipping uh, towards him. This third part here, this third lesson, Sean, you highlight is the, we need to return, repent, and be reconciled. And you mentioned a, a passage just in Acts 2 that highlights the need for that, that Peter is just encouraging everyone to repent. Uh, this is one of those other churchy words that have been used before, sometimes in a derogatory way towards other people. Uh, I'd love to hear y'all's just definition. Practically, what does that look like? Practically, we've talked about this idea of turning towards the Father. Just can you break it down for us in kind of a real everyday situation? What, what does it look like to repent? For me personally, I remember being 22 years old and drinking, um, being inappropriate with women I'm living a life that was pretty selfish and hedonistic and uh, just hitting the bottom and realizing there was no fulfillment in that. There was no peace in that. There was no real joy in that lifestyle. Um, I needed something different and I was missing so much. And so I it didn't know the word at the time, but what I did was I repented. I, I, I said, I'm turning my back on this way of living and turning toward a God who I don't even know well, I don't understand everything about, but but I just believe. I, I learned when I was younger that He loves me, and I learned things about salvation, and those things were in there. But I had to turn 180 degrees the other direction, away from the things that were satisfying me, and toward a God who sent His Son to save me. And that's what repentance was for me. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. a big on churchy words. It was just me turning a different direction, turning toward toward him. Yeah, I love what the verse says in verse 17, when he came to his senses. So he came to his senses. Something happened internally that changed his mind. And I am right there with you, Sean. Um, when I think about that first time that I came to my senses and opened up my eyes and realized there has to be more, which is something that he wanted. He wanted more food. And so then he wondered, I bet my father's servants have, have more than this. And it's, it's a great start to say, all right, Lord, I'm looking for more fulfillment. I'm looking for more satisfaction. I'm looking for more purpose. I'm looking for more joy. I'm looking for more peace in this crazy and broken world. I'm turning to you for that. Mm. He's going to be faithful because that's what he's in the business of, of providing for us. So, it, it, it is such a personal thing um, to 
to repent and to turn mm-hmm. and to change our mind and to start living differently. Uh, love both of what you said. Uh, another piece of this too, what, what role does this play in our journey after, you know, we, we've kind of highlighted the big decision, kind of the big turning point in our lives, recognizing that we can't do this on our own, recognizing we need a savior, receiving the father's love. What is uh, maybe, I don't want to say smaller, but what, what does it kind of look like even just for y'all on a, on a weekly, daily basis? Is there room for that? What does that part look like as far as in this process of uh, repenting, reconciling? And turning to God. My wife uh, makes fun of me because I map everything on my on my Google Maps, like wherever we're going. Like we'll be. I'll, you guys have that in common, yeah, both of I you. Mean, she's like, we go to this restaurant. You never know. 12, Red 12 exactly. You don't. You just don't know. You know. And you, we you kind of know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, know. especially when you live in Wimberley. Never be too gross. sure. <laughs> never be too sure. I map everything, and so I was thinking about your question in light of of this idea because we we're in Colorado. And, uh, you know, I'm mapping and it's a long ways, lots of options from Colorado back, back home here to Texas. And, uh, so it maps out, we, we pick a course and we're going and we're on that road and we feel like this is the right road. And then consistently we get these little reminders. You'll save three minutes if you get off here and go this direction, or, you know, there's an alternate route this way, or there's a, there's a, you know, a speed check ahead, or there all these little notes you get on the map along the way. And I think that that's what our faith walk is like that the enemy is consistently kind of putting things in our path. Like, Hey, you know, More you're experiencing a lot of peace, but man, you know, if you just did this one little thing over here, it's a little shady on the business side, but mm. boy, you're going to experience more peace. Uh, and, and just, you know, contentment, that's what the enemy's telling us. And it's like, no, no, I'm going to stay on the path that, that I've chosen. That's, that's a slight repentance. That's a, that's the smaller turning to stay focused on this, this journey toward eternity with, with, and consistent presence of, of Jesus in our lives. And man, it can come in a lot of forms, but there's lots of little shortcuts and lots of little off ramps. And yet all those things that I'm longing for, the peace and the joy and the fruits of the spirit that come from me, but also I get to benefit from in relationship with him. I've got to consistently keep my eye on turning back toward him, recommitting over yeah. and over. Yeah, James 5.16 says, when we confess our sins to one another, then we are healed. So uh, as we go on the way, I love that illustration, Sean, confessing our sins and and turning to people that love us, that know us deeply. Uh, You don't need to tell everyone everything. You just need to tell someone everything. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of community. When, when we hold these deeper things for one another, we're not fixing, we're, we're, we're joining with God and saying, man, yeah, you received God's forgiveness. That's our vertical relationship. But then James is clear. We receive healing when we confess our sins. So that's an important discipline um, to, to foster and create in a relationship that um, will help you recognize, you know, what God wants for your life and, and stay on that, stay on that path. Even when Google maps tells you it's, it's, it's the long way. Sometimes we want to choose the shorter, shorter route, right? Yeah, but we got to stay the course. Yeah, we do. And that consistent confessing you're talking about creates this posture of surrender that I think was so important for Jesus to get across in the parable because it gets to that fourth point, right? That there was another son yeah. and he didn't enter that posture of surrender. He wasn't, you know, sold out to the blessing of living in fellowship with the father and all the, you know, amazing, you know, land they had and cattle they had and, and, and possessions that they had. Um, that wasn't enough for him. He wasn't surrendered to that. He wasn't repentant. And, um, as a result, 
his life didn't look like it needed to either. Yeah, this fourth point here, like you said, our heart and motives need to match our actions. Uh, there's mm. so much I feel like we could take away from the the younger son, from the father's reaction, but I really do love how you kind of camped out here towards the end, focused on the son. Uh, there's kind of two angles I want to kind of uh, talk through. The first being just missing the party, just missing the joy, uh, letting, whether it's judgment, letting uh, jealousy, there's so many things that can kind of creep in here when we uh, instead could be celebrating what God's doing in other people's lives. How would you encourage, both of y'all just encourage someone that's really struggling with that, really struggling with either judgment towards other people, um, comparison, um, just so quickly, I feel like we always got to give a shout out to social media in the way that it just does a, a terrible job of kind of bringing about comparison and just kind of uh, comparing our lives to everyone else's highlight reel. So how just as a practical believer in 2023, how, how do we live this out? How Stay do we- off of social media, limit your social media consumption. I mean, absolutely. That has a huge part to play. And if we're all being very honest, it affects us way more than we give it credit. And I think what you feed will grow. So if you feed your soul things that create envy and this sense of injustice, look at how they're living compared to how I'm living. And I'm over here doing all these good things for people and honoring God. And I haven't, you know, drank in this long and these people are doing all these things and, you know, fill in the blank for what that looks for you. But we have to remember that if you're a believer in Jesus, you're a young, you have a younger son story. You have raised your hand and said, I, mm. I, I need to change. And what I got from the message as an older brother right now in this season of life is I can't forget what God's done for me. I can't forget what I deserved and then the length of his grace in my life. Mm. If I stop remembering that, then I'm in trouble. Biblically, how often in the Old Testament does God remind his people, I brought you out of slavery. I gave you my, the promise of my Holy Spirit presence to never leave you or forsake you. When you disobey, there were consequences. You brought those upon yourself, but my presence has continually been with you. New covenant, we have the Holy Spirit, thanks to Jesus, who's made that all available to all of us. So remembering how far God's brought us, I think is huge. That's a good word. I agree with all of that. How about you, Taylor? Where? How do you do it? How do you find yourself in this? Just seeing this coming. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I think I was going to cue up the second part, but I'll weave it in my answer too. I think the hardest part for me is uh, just feeling that sense of pride that I I would never do that. You know, like the the prodigal son that that was very dramatic. That was very extreme. I, I would never do such a thing. And so I think to your point, Jose, just even shifting towards looking inward, reminding myself of the grace that God gave me that I, I don't deserve this. I can't do this. And even for me, practically, just because I'm I'm a planner and I like to think things through, I sometimes play out what my life would be like without Christ. I'm like, okay, let's try this. If I if I was going through with my own plans, my own flesh, my own desires, how did that work out for me? And how would that have worked out for me? And so even just that small little exercise, God kind of gently uses to remind me like, oh, I'm only here doing what I'm doing now because God graciously uh, showed me his truth in love and was able to bring me back to that. And so I, I think that's a 
yeah, that, that's a big piece for me. That's good. I, I think that Second John verse where he's talking about the ways of the world, and he lists those three things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first two really are younger son things: the the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. Those those are younger son kind of things. The pride of life really is an older son kind of thing. This arrogance or boastfulness, like I can I do this by myself. Mm-hmm. I, I I deserve more. And so yeah, thanks for acknowledging that. Yeah, one more part here that gets a little tricky, but I know this came up in my group last night as well. There's a sense, I think, for some of us that we just have this, um, I don't know if it's just a fleshly instinct to try to either control or call out other, you know, maybe younger sons here. I know this is not exactly the posture the older older son is taking, but I feel like there were several people that were like, oh, I, I know a wayward son in my life, or oh, I, you should talk to this guy, you know? So it's so easy to let either gossip creep in or judgment creep in, just even as a believer who we know we're called to speak the truth in love, but where would y'all draw that line of just make, you know, as far as reminding ourselves or just, you know, something I'm trying to remember is as far as I, I can't control their actions. I, I can't go, you know, dictate what the younger son's going to do. Where do we as believers have a role to play in, in all of that? I think it's interesting that the three parables in Luke 15 are all have similar themes because you can draw some things from all three, some lessons. In the first parable of the lost sheep, uh, man, God goes after that lost sheep. And it's kind of what your community group members saying, like, I, I want to go after those people, though. We, we, we need to go and we need to point things out. Um, and then in this parable, he doesn't go after his son. He doesn't go find him. He waits for the son to come back. I think what that's telling us is God approaches each as a, each of us individually. And we need to do that in the people around us in our lives. We need to look individually at them. Some are going to need more grace. Some are, some are more like the sheep that's maybe not as insightful, doesn't have as much experience with God, hasn't been in, in great environments with great influences. They're going to need more grace. They're going to need more pursuit. Some have heard the word of God and have even had it in them, maybe even confessed belief in God when they were younger. They've, they've grown up in that, and then they've decided to become prodigals. And you know, for them, they may need more truth. They may need more distance. It's really, if we're serious about wanting to be ambassadors for God, then we need to listen to what God wants yeah. us to do first and foremost, and then go live that out. And so when we pray to God, if he says, I got yeah. Joey over there or Jimmy or whoever it is, you let him go, then that's what you have to do. And you just keep interceding in prayer. If he says, I need you to consistently show up in Joey or Jimmy's life and love on him and encourage him, great, then do that. And if he says, I need you to go to Joey and Jimmy, I need you to point out the sin in their life. Mm -hmm. And I need you to be bold in letting them know that that's going to lead to death and have really Mm -hmm. terrible consequences. Then do that. God loves all those folks that are prodigals out there enough to help us that want to go pursue to know how to do it in the moment. But it's going to look different for each situation, in my opinion. Sounds like parenting children. You have to parent each child a little differently, and it isn't fair. And I get that question at the ages that our kids are at all the time. It's not fair. Last night was, (laughs) he got more reading time than I did. And I'm like, well, that's, you can read if you want, you know, a little longer if we're at that level. But we always have that gauge as humans. Is this fair? And the truth is, Job is in the Bible, teaches us that no, all things are not equal here on earth because we're still not reconciled as, uh, as, as, as humanity. We need Jesus to come back in order for that to be, you know, to, to, for the new heavens and the new earth to be inaugurated. So it ties into the storyline of scripture and to your point individually, how do we um, navigate those things what you said was right on, Sean. We have to pray and follow God's leading. I can tell you where I err, I err on the side of doing too much. 
I are on the side of going too far for people. And that's too much grace. And there, God's teaching me a fine balance in certain relationships where, where I need to do what God wants me to do for that relationship, whether that's, hey, just praying for them. I think that's the bare minimum, though. <laughs> We're always called to pray. And I'm just grateful that in this parable, we have the example of this heavenly father that does, that does the work. Absolutely. It's great. I, I also think, Taylor, it's, it's awesome the way that you go to your community group, discuss these things, and get different perspectives. And I know that's our hope for everybody that's listening to the podcast that's here in the church, is that you can get something out of Sunday morning. Um, but man, it's, it's the taking that, those lessons and discussing them in a community group that allows you to ask more questions and flesh more things and hear different opinions and different perspectives. So I hope everybody's doing that so that we can continue to rally around this loving Father who's pursuing us. Thanks for listening to the Conversations podcast. Be a part of the conversation by sending questions about the Sunday message directly from ccc.guide or by emailing conversations at cypresscreekchurch.com. See you back for the next conversation.